I want to talk to you this morning, um, really the title of the message is More Than You Can Possibly Imagine. More Than You Can Possibly Imagine. I want to talk about the idea of latent potential, like potential that could be realized but may not be realized based on our choices. And this is really, you know, every week I pray and I seek the Lord and I'm kind of a week-to-week kind of guy. I wish that I could, you know, be like some of those amazing preachers that I super respect and look up to who like, I plan my sermons 15 months in advance, you know. Um, I am not that guy. I am planning 15 minutes in advance. So if I ever say something wrong, you know why, because most of this is just coming to me right now. Um, no, just kidding. It's a little bit more planned out than that. But this week, I, uh, I was working in my backyard, um, and we've owned our home for 11 years uh, in the Arden area. And we, we love our house. It was built in 1954. Uh, we are going to be 11 years this December, uh, homeowners. And there's all these things that you begin to learn about owning a home that you never thought you would learn before. And um, some you learn at a longer rate, like it takes longer to learn than others. When we moved into the home, our backyard had a beautiful peach tree. I killed it. Um, we had a beautiful apple tree, dead too. Um, and we had a gorgeous lemon tree, also dead. Um, and then we have this area in the far back of our yard called the jungle. Um, that's what the kids refer to it as, and they would be describing it accurately because it's an area that we don't clean, we don't touch, we just let it grow because, you know, we, we don't, we have some apartments in our backyard and we want it to just grow like green because, you know, some of the backyard patios are kind of close and they, we share a fence and so we're like, okay, we're just going to leave the jungle alone. Well, in this jungle for the last 11 years laying dormant is this enormous fig tree and um, I'm not a big fan of figs, but I do like charcuterie boards. And one of the things you do with a charcuterie board is you go to Whole Foods and you get the $13 four-ounce can of fig jam, right? And so um, there was a part of me in my heart that's like, man, it sure would be nice to, to have some figs. And uh, so I made the decision to break every one of our current watering policies this year. And uh, I put 30-minute sprinklers back there every day since like May. Um, and so it's mostly a, a swamp um, back there. But I got to tell you, we have a ton of figs. And I mean, there are figs. We got figs coming out of our figs. We got so many figs. Uh, this was just our first pick. I don't know if we have the picture. That's carrots. That's just a, and you might say, oh, you picked them too green. If I don't pick them that way, they literally start fermenting on the tree, right? You can, it like smells like wine in our backyard um, or rotten figs too. I was just trying to make it pretty. And then, then, then the squirrels and the possums get to them and all this stuff. So I had to pick them a little early. Um, so we got fig jam right now. We had fig crumble this week for dessert, no ice cream. Uh, but we had all these, I mean, figs are coming, and that's just the first crop. We picked another, you see that silver bucket right there on the right? Um, I brought five of those up to my mom to make more fig jam. And now I have about 30 of these little tiny pints of fig jam for the next 10 years of charcuterie boards at the Hager house. The jam probably won't last that long. Um, so, you know, maybe some of you will be the recipients of fig jam um, at $10 a jar <laughs> in the foyer after service, all right? Um, we take Venmo, Visa, MasterCard, the whole thing. Just kidding. We're not selling fig jam. We could, though. That's how many figs we have. But it's, it struck me with this idea that literally this tree has been sitting dormant. We have not picked a fig and eaten it off of this tree in the 11 years that we've lived in this house, 11 years, mostly because we have no idea how to take care of plants. 
But we also had no idea how much potential that tree could produce, what that tree could produce if given the right nutrients, uh, if, if the, the owner had a shift in perspective, that all of a sudden this tree that usually is just nice shade coverage, it's, it's huge, and nice, uh, it's a nice barrier from our back fence, it had potential to produce for us, to like make something, to make jam for us and desserts for us and to be tasty and to be gifts for people and all of these different things. And that, that potential laid there for over a decade, not being utilized just because of a shift in perspective and a change in what the ingredients were given. And it makes me think about my own Christian walk. It makes me think about my life with Jesus, that there is far more potential in Christ inside of me than I recognize sometimes. How many of you know that's true of you too? There's more that God has for us than we are willing to see because we don't have the right perspective. And it just, it's just been a lesson for me as I'm picking these figs. I mean, it's hours of picking. It's like, man, I cannot believe this much time went by before realizing the potential of what this tree could produce. And I, it makes me think of this. What kind of potential are you and I sitting on? Like, what kind of potential are we sitting on in our own lives for the only expansion of the kingdom? What kind of purpose does God have inside of us that needs some people to get really serious about what it means to serve God, to kind of mine that out of our own hearts and our own lives, to allow him to do something new and to shift a perspective and to bring healing where we haven't seen healing and deliverance where we, there hasn't been deliverance and, and a touch from God where maybe we haven't had that touch from God in that way before. And if you're like me, over time, it can become, you can kind of get jaded in your relationship with the Lord. You can say, I kind of have been around and I've seen all there is to see. And if you, if you have accurate theology and you read your Bible, right, you know that when we move from this life into eternity, we're going to be learning and uncovering more and more of our own purpose in heaven for, a, for an eternity. I was going to say a lifetime, but we've already lived life. For an eternity, there's going to be more and more that's uncovered. Don't get the idea that heaven, uh, you're going to turn into a baby with a diaper on a harp in a cloud, you know, s shooting little arrows at people. That's not what heaven's going to look like. Heaven is going to be about purpose and learning and growth, and there's going to be new revelations, and you're going to be in the presence of the Almighty God, learning from Him and having purpose and destiny in the world that He creates for us. I mean, this is a big deal, and it's something that I want to just get buried deep in my heart where I realize that there is more potential for me than I'm currently experiencing. And we see that in this moment that Jesus has with His disciples um, and it really, it just, it comes straight out of the pages, and it just, uh, it's what God has for us this morning. Let's look at this together. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? I mean, you know, that was the real question he was getting after. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. How many of you remember that last verse? You've heard that last verse before. Um, that's a real popular one about prayer and how we are called to live in authority with our prayer. But this idea of potential, that, that there's more inside of us to do for God and to be before God, there's more purpose and more destiny than we can possibly 
imagine. But it takes some real crucial shifts for that to come to the surface and actually make a difference in our lives and make an impact in the world around us. The first shift that has to take place is that we have to change who we believe Jesus is. And that might seem weird because if you've known Jesus for any length of time, I grew up in the church. I mean, my parents took me to church. I think I was born and the next day I was in church. I was in church from a real early age. I was the kid that was disciplined in church. Um, I had so many, like everything happened for me in church. I was a church kid raised in the church, loved the Lord. Pretty sure I gave my heart to Jesus at seven, but it could have been five for all I know. Um, I just know that Jesus has always been a part of my life. And one of the things that can happen is that we can get a perspective of Jesus that we just kind of cement in right? Like for my fig tree, it was just like, yeah, that's the fig tree. But there wasn't, I didn't know what it could do, what it, what kind of potential it had. And we can get a perspective of Jesus where we learn enough about him to kind of understand what he does for our life, has purpose, but there's new revelations that he's wanting to bring to us about who he is. And I would say this, on the cusp of every breakthrough for your life is a new perspective about Jesus. That happens, and then the breakthrough comes. Because when you get a new vision of who Jesus can be to you, not 10 years ago, not 20 years ago, not when you first got saved or how you grew up or what you know about Jesus, but it's like, whoa, he's real to me again in a fresh way and a new way that I have never seen before. This happens for me when a person will get saved in the church who didn't grow up the way that I grew up. And I begin to see Jesus again afresh for the first time. Like, wow, he really is that good. And I see Jesus through their eyes because they're hearing this stuff for the first time. And they're getting revelations and they're having breakthroughs and they're seeing understanding in their walk with the Lord that, man, I remember the freshness of what that felt like. That's why we encourage everybody to get in part of a small group, to be connected in community, because if you serve Jesus for any length of time, you're going to need that. You're going to need to rub shoulders with somebody who's serving Jesus for the first time and getting perspective for, uh, for their life for the first time and having breakthrough and healing and, and deliverances happen for the first time so that you know, oh, there's more to Jesus than even I realize, having been one who's known him for years. We need a fresh perspective for Jesus. In fact, everything new, every new thing starts with a fresh understanding of Jesus. Look at verse 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God, and said, and Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't just start the conversation by asking his disciples, who do you say that I am? That's not how he starts the conversation. He starts the conversation by saying, hey, what are you guys hearing about me from others? I mean, no, he wasn't nearly as interested in that, but he wanted to get the conversation going. Because I think Jesus has a way of like, hey, who do other people say that I am? And now I'm going to get to the real issue. Because does it really matter who other people say that Jesus is for your breakthrough? Does it really matter what the history books say? And, you know, I, I love my theology. I love studying the Reformation. I love heroes of the faith like Martin Luther. And I love these guys. Like, these cool things that have happened throughout history. But at the end of the day, when I need a breakthrough from Jesus in my own life, I need to know who do I say that Jesus is in this circumstance, in this issue, in this fresh reality, this new world that I'm living in. I needed that breakthrough probably five or six times during the COVID couple of years, right? Slash five, slash 10, slash maybe who knows. Um, I needed that breakthrough. I need a fresh, Jesus, what are you saying to me today? And Jesus looks at Peter and says, blessed are you, Peter, because you didn't come up with that on your own. You're not just looking 
at what others are saying and, and deducing a reasonable response. Well, if they say and they say and you did this and you got miracles, then I'm just kind of thinking you're the Christ, the son of the living God. That's not what Jesus is saying. And that's not what Peter did. Jesus is saying, no, no, God showed you this, a revelation, right? And I think for every believer, for any length of time that you've known God, you're needing, I'm needing fresh revelations of who Jesus is today in this circumstance, in this issue, in this point of breakthrough, in this point of healing. And we can get used to living with things that just keep our potential hidden. We can get used, and used to and comfortable with things in our life that aren't producing anything but worldliness and garbage and fleshly desires and carnality and all these different things that come against us. We can get so comfortable with Jesus kind of being a side dish to our life. And yet Jesus says, I want you to see me again for the first time and in a fresh way. What does heaven say about Jesus? He's the Christ. He's the son of the living God. You know, it's interesting. Christianity is not just a belief system. It's not just a value system. It's not just a set of good morals, right? Um, Christianity is really, it's either the total truth or it's not really worth believing. It's either the total truth or it's really not worth believing. I mean, Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And there is a, a heresy that is captivating the minds and the hearts of very well-intended church-going believers. And that would be that it's kind of been around for a long time, but like, hey, whatever works for you, man, just find your own way to God as long as like it's producing good morals and different things like that. That's not the Jesus we serve. We serve the Jesus who said, no, 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 I'm it. I'm it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to heaven. No one comes to the Father, except if you're coming through the person and the work of Jesus. So when Peter says these words, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus is like, oh, I can work with that. That is my boy. Yes, you got it. And you know what? You didn't just come up with it because you thought it was a great idea or you're testing the waters. You're like, you're the Christ, the, the son of the living God, God, God. No, he's confident. like God showed you that. There's been a revelation that happens. I hope for you and I that that revelation comes again and again and again to your life. Because everything changes in your Christian walk when Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, the only way, the truth, and the life. I mean, we don't get to have like ideas that aren't reflective of who Jesus says we should be. We don't get to have our own, our own ideas. We don't get to take parts of the Bible and leave out other parts of the Bible and say, well, this is for me, but not that. We say, no, I'm surrendering my whole life to Jesus. Everything that I am and everything that I have is his. It's interesting to me that for a lot of Christian parents, and this can be true, and I just want to challenge you if you've had these thoughts, like, I don't want to indoctrinate my kids or brainwash them. Well, I got to tell you what, I got some of them on the front row, some of my kids, and I'm like, I'm totally cool with brainwashing, all right, just so you know. <laughs> um, but it's interesting, we say that about religion, and there's good reason, right, because what you don't want to do is you don't want to shove Jesus down your kids' throats, and I'm just looking for confirmation that I haven't done that. All right, swing and a miss. We'll talk later. We'll talk later. <laughs> You don't want to shove Jesus down your kid's throat. They do need to have their own revelations of who Jesus is. That's true. But at the same time, be careful that you're not just teaching your kids that Christianity is like something that they may choose one day if that's kind of what happens for them. 
because that's not what you believe. That's not why we're here. Christianity is either the total truth and he's the only way, or we should really go do something else with our Sunday morning. Like Susie's Country Oaks Cafe has a great Western omelet. Like we should just all meet there, right? And like just have breakfast together and call it a day. But if he's the way, the truth, and the life, we should teach our children. These aren't Bible stories. These are his story. This is his story of how the world works. This is how life works. And we do this. Isn't it interesting that we do this with math? We do this with math. We don't ever send our kids to school and say, well, if two plus two works for you, that's great. We just want you to come to your own conclusion, sweetheart. No, we teach math as fact because it is. Listen, if you're struggling with that or have struggled with that as you're raising kids, I just say, maybe pray some prayers that Peter was probably praying. Who are you, Jesus? Because I need a fresh understanding because this is truth and this is life and this is not just a way to live. This is how the world works. This is his world that he created and he made a way to him, which is only through Jesus. It'll change the way you pray. It'll change the way you parent. It'll change the way you step into the house of God for worship. You won't step into the house of God for worship like, this is fun. I love that we have some friends. You know, I love that we have good morals. I love that we're all encouraging each other to like be good. That's moralizing. That's not Christianity. You know, that's crazy. Jesus didn't die to make you a good person. I think when you meet Jesus, you'll become a good person over time, but he died to save you because he loves you and has a plan for your life to forgive you and cause redemption and the shed blood of Jesus to cleanse your sins and to make you pure and righteous before an almighty God. And this is what we believe. It's not fringe. It's the core of who we are as believers. So when we come into the house and we pray, we're not praying prayers like we're throwing coins into a fountain to a God who may or may not hear. We're praying to a God who cares and who's active and who's alive and who's the only way to live. And just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who said, you may throw us in the fire and we may burn, but just know this, even if we burn, he is still God and he is still good. I mean, that's the reality of you and I living. It may not turn out how I hope it turns out, but I'm telling you what, you're not gonna shake me because this is fact to me, not preference, not opinion, not idea. And it all starts with a fresh revelation of Jesus. Where in your life do you need a new perspective on who Jesus is? You know, I'm challenged to think and dream from heaven's perspective and not my limited one. I mean, no, I have a limited perspective on life. I have a limited perspective on myself. I have a limited perspective on our church, what God may want to do. I'm just limited but I'm not challenged to think through my own lens. I'm challenged to think through the lens of heaven. Like what might God want to do through my life? What might God believe about me? What, what might God want for my future? What may God want for our church? That perspective is typically going to be a little bit different than my own perspective when I'm really tapping into who God's called me to be. The second thing that needs to happen or the shift is that who do we believe we are, Right? One thing to have a great revelation about who Jesus is, but if that doesn't translate to me viewing myself a little bit differently, I think we've missed it. And Jesus makes this clear to Peter when he says in verse 18, you are Peter. The word there is Petros. Now, I'm not, liter I'm not, a, big, I'm not a big Greek guy. I, I got to tell you, speaking of math, um, in my high school, they did algebra one and two. Anybody else have that? And it was like first semester, second semester. And then if that was tough for you, 
hashtag you couldn't do it, uh, you've got algebra A and B and algebra C and D, which was algebra one broken down in two semesters and algebra two broken down in two semesters. So you didn't really get through algebra till you were junior, but you felt good about yourself, right? And then if it was really bad, you didn't just get algebra A and B and C and D, you went to consumer math, right? Which was on the opposite side of the school and it was usually taught by the English teacher because it was literally, how do you balance a checkbook? That's all you did. That's all you learned for an entire semester was how to keep your checkbook balanced. Now, if you're shaking your head yes, then you were with me in consumer math. And you, like me, probably graduated high school with a 2.72. Uh, but here's the thing. Good news is Bible college, you don't even need to go to math class, right? And so I graduated with honors from Bible college because, you know, I finally figured out what I cared about. Um, and it certainly, it certainly wasn't uh, math. But how many of you know who we believe we are makes a dramatic impact on who we believe he is and what we believe is possible? And so we have to shift our perspective on who we believe we are. And I have found that the more I get in touch with a new revelation of who he is, the more like I realize like, man, God's made me something special. Not because it's not a prideful thing. It's not a unique thing. It's not a me being better than anybody else thing. It's just like, I'm really called. I'm really chosen. He really has a plan for my life. And this is what happens for Peter. You are Peter, Petros. You are a stone, is what he's saying. You're a stone. And Jesus says this about him. And on this Petra, it's a different word, right? So again, like I, I, I was talking about how I... I kind of didn't do a lot of Greek, but a little bit of Greek, but thank God for online resources. You are Petros, and on this rock, Petra. He uses the word Petra. And this is where the Catholics would get their idea that Peter was the first pope, is because on this rock, on this rock, the rock is Petros, Peter, Petra. He's, it's him. He's the rock. And on this rock, Peter, the individual, I'm going to build my church. And the, so the, the Catholics step back and they say, well, then you go to the book of Acts and we've talked about this maybe every Sunday for the last six weeks about how Peter comes out of the upper room and he preaches the first sermon of the church and 3,000 people are added to their number that day. That's just the men count, let alone the women and children that those men represented. And that's the birth of the church. So surely Peter is the first pope. And that's where they get that, that idea from. But what we know is we know that Petra, Petros is just a stone and Petros is one of the stones. When you get to Petra, Petra that's, the, that's the foundation stone, the, the bedrock, the cornerstone. So when Jesus says, you're a stone, and on this rock, this Petra, I'm going to build my church, what he's saying is, I'm going to build my church not on the individual named Peter. I'm going to build my church on every individual who takes their stone, connects it to the cornerstone, which is the truth. It's an idea. It's the reality that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the bedrock of everything I am about to do, and that's the kind of church that the gates of hell will not prevail against the kind of church that gets the identity of Jesus right. And if you got a church that doesn't get the identity of Jesus right, that's not the church that Jesus is building his church upon, the bedrock of his church. This idea, this reality, this truth that Jesus Christ 
is the son of the living God, the one that God sent, that God planned from the foundation of the world to redeem humanity. Man, that changes everything. And so he calls Peter Petros, and on this rock Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so I could say this with with a lot of confidence. If you feel like the gates of hell have been crowding in onto your Christian world and your Christian life, I'm telling you, get a fresh revelation of Jesus. Because when you get a fresh revelation of Jesus and his authority and his power and he's for you and not against you, and you are a rock, Man, it changes everything. It's interesting that that goes in line with the story that Jesus tells about not building your house on the sand, but building it on the bedrock, right? And there's a fun Christian song that I learned when I was a child, and I will sing it again for all the world and www.youtube.com. And I'm I'm not ashamed to say it. Uh, Don't build your house on the sandy land. Don't build it too near the shore. Nobody knows this? Well, it might look kind of nice, but you'll have to build it twice, so you'll have to build your house once more. You gotta build your house upon the rock, firm foundation on a solid rock. So the storms may come and go, but the peace of God you will know. Okay, so I'm the only one that grew up Christian. All right. (laughs) The rest of you got saved later in life. Okay, who else had it? Thank you, thank you. High five, second row, Millikens, love it. All right, you gotta build your house upon the rock. That's what Jesus is saying. He says it over and over and over again in his ministry. There's gotta be something bigger than you that you're the foundation of your life has bedrock in if your house is gonna last. And that bedrock he identifies to Peter is you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And I'm telling you, there's no other bedrock that will do Look at 1 Peter. This must have made an impact in his life. 1 Peter, 2, 1 Peter 2, 4 through 6. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You are one of these living stones that Jesus said to Peter, and he says to you today, get your life, your living stone, get it connected to the bedrock of who Jesus is, and I will build my church. If you'll be faithful to do that, I will build my church on such a foundation that the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And so if the gates of hell are prevailing against you, you might be a Petra on your own or a Petros on your own, doing your own thing, divided, alone, separated, isolated. And God says, no, 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 come over here, get connected to this foundation as a living stone. And I'm telling you, I will build you into something that changes the world. I'll build you into something that, that will last, that has, that has give time, that keeps going and going and going. And the third perspective that needs to shift for you and I to realize all this latent potential inside of us, right? You and I have a lot of it. The third perspective shift is that what kind of assignment do you have has to come into the forefront of your heart. Like not only do you see Jesus different, not only now that you see Jesus differently, you know that you're different, you're special, you're chosen, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a living stone, part of God's house. So I see him right, I see me right, and now guess what? You got a job. Jesus gets to this. You have an assignment. Once you see me right, and once you see yourself right, now I'm giving you something to do. 
And this is where I feel like a lot of Christians just fall short. And they know there's something they're supposed to do, but they don't quite understand how to do it. And so they just want to be involved. They just want to do something. Um, But Jesus says, I'm going to show you how to do it or where at least it begins. And it begins in prayer. It begins when we understand our authority. Look at verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And this is important. How many know what keys signify? They signify authority. Like, uh, we have way too many people with keys to this church. I just want you to know, like, I mean, hashtag my bad. I didn't keep a list, okay? I didn't keep a list, so every couple of years I just have to change it, and then I know who, who has a key because they're like, hey, my key doesn't work. It's like, oh, I didn't know I gave you one. Um, but we get way, way too many keys. It's like, you get a key, and you get a key, and you get a key. And if you want one, you can, you can have one. Just see me afterwards. <laughs> but listen, what keys signify is you have some authority. You get to open things. You get to go places. We, I, was, uh, I was working at a church in L.A., a big church, and I was the facilities manager, okay? And I had one key to rule them all, right? It was called the master key. And every other key was a derision of that master key. And so I would be able to give out keys, but it's like, you can only get into that closet. <laughs> you know, and you can only get into that door. And you can, oh, you, yeah, youth pastor, yeah, you can only get right here. That's it, you know? But then I pulled out my key, and I didn't have to carry a wad of keys. I just had one key. And I could get anywhere, even the steeple. And it was exciting. Um, and so, and I went those places, places I shouldn't have been either. Um, I was like, nah, this is fun. I got authority now, right? It was the master key of the whole place. Listen, when you're given keys, there's some authority that that signifies. It's interesting that Jesus, first of all, says, wow, you got, it. You got me right. And now I'm going to tell you a little bit about yourself. You're a rock, Peter. And you can look through Peter's life and you can realize he probably did not think this about himself that Jesus was calling forth his identity before it was really established. Peter, you're a rock. I'm going to show you how solid you are. I'm going to show you that your life matters. I'm going to show you that you're important. I'm going to show you that I can build something great if you'll get connected to a bedrock foundation. I'm going to build my church on you and others like you who will name my name. So you got me right. Here's who you are. And now here comes some authority. Keys. Keys to the kingdom. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And this is interesting. This is where uh, I don't always go the Greek route, you know, but again, twice today. All right. This is where um, it gets a little dicey for me. But and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, what we need to do is like the, the Greek has like tenses to it, right? Like passive and subjunctive tense. And those tenses are the same word, but they're, they're, the letters at the end and the beginning signify what it's talking about, right? So the, what it says here, what Jesus is saying, and this is how it's written out, and whatever you bind on earth, that's the first one, right? Whatever you bind on earth, it's actually the subjective, subjunctive mood, and it means this. Whatever you may bind, whatever you decide to bind, whatever you might bind, Whatever you decide is important enough to bind, it says it will be bound for you in heaven. And th- that word bound in heaven actually is a different, it's a different tense. It's the same word, but it's a different tense. The first one is whatever you may bind. The next one is the p- passive mood, right? And it says whatever you may bind on earth has already been bound for you in heaven, that's an interesting set of verbal gymnastics, linguistic gymnastics. I don't, what are you trying to communicate 
Jesus. And the same thing happens again. And whatever you loose on earth, subjunctive tense, whatever you may loose on earth, whatever you might loose on earth, whatever you decide to loose on earth has already been loosed for you in heaven. It's already been done. It's already been done and it's been done for you in heaven. Same, same verb tense, passive. It's already done. So what Jesus is saying is like, there's this whole reality in heaven that just needs some people on earth to believe that what God has for you there can be bound and loosed here through your authority. Now that you know who Jesus is, and now that you know that you're a rock, a chosen one, a royal priest a holy nation set apart by God, then you know what you can pray for and how you can pray. So when we come together in our prayer circles, again, we're not sending limp Hail Marys up to the heavenly palisades in the sky, hoping that they get to Jesus. We are actually exercising our assignment and our authority as believers. And here's where I think a lot of believers, we just live in the maybe part of this binding and loosing, whatever you bind on earth, and we decide that, well, I'm just, I'm not going to do it. I'm, Jesus is saying, you might. And he's saying, I want you to, but it's on you, not me, because it's already been done for you in heaven. So he's looking for people when we pray for healing, when we pray for restoration, when we pray for salvation, when we pray for deliverance, when we pray for uh, miracles to happen in our world, when we pray for prodigal sons and daughters to come back to know Jesus again, when we're praying through those things, we're not praying like limp, weak, maybe prayers. We're taking up our authority and our assignment to bring heaven to earth in everything that we do and say. We're saying, God, I know that in heaven I'm healed. In heaven, my finances are, you know, there's not a financial lack in heaven. Like the streets are made with gold. You just chisel off a corner of the asphalt. Like, I mean, I, that's, I, that's what I read. Like you pray heaven to earth in every situation, in every circumstance. But here's the thing. The maybe is not on him. The maybe is on, it's on us. It's on our side of heaven because Jesus is up there saying, it's like, oh yeah, that's already done. That's already, <laughs> that's already done. I already did that. I already did that. Now you just need to pray. You need to believe. You need to trust. You need to hope. And bound in heaven has already been loosed. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. The disciples one day, they're thinking about, like, we see that when Jesus prays, like, he's got, like, a 100% success record. You know, even that guy that he prayed, and it was like, I see men like trees. And it's like, well, he prayed again, and he could see. <laughs> so it's like, oh, see, Jesus didn't do it right the first time. No, it's like, well, you know, I don't know. Maybe there was breakthrough prayer. Now, there's other theories about what that was about. But that was just the one time where one of Jesus' prayers is like, hey, maybe there's a question. And even that wasn't a question because in the end, the guy still could see. And even seeing men like trees is better than not seeing men at all. I mean, I think. I mean, even if Jesus had left him that way, it's like, at least you see trees. <laughs> Why are you complaining, bro? You couldn't see nothing before. <laughs> okay, that's how I read my Bible. I see the funny everywhere. All right. Matthew 6, Jesus, the disciples come to Jesus. They say, when you pray, like, stuff happens. And when we pray, like, like it doesn't happen. Like stuff doesn't happen. And Jesus says, well, let me teach you how to pray. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. Meaning this, listen, here's a, can I tell you like a danger? The longer you're in the church, you learn the prayer language. You learn what to say. I'll never forget. This is embarrassing. Um, but it came up this week. But 
I had a, a neighborhood friend. He was in uh, seventh grade, and I, I led him to the Lord. And I said, now do you want to speak in tongues? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, just talk like it's Spanish, man. Just go for it. And <laughs> that's what I knew. That's it. <laughs> and he did. And uh, it, it, was, it wasn't tongues. It was just him. It was just him talking like Spanish. Okay, that was embarrassing. Um, but... <laughs> Keep on, don't, he just said this, okay, you want to pray? Don't babble. Here's the danger for you and I as believers. We can learn the right prayers to say. And I get good at this because I, I mean, I've been around church a long time. It's like, we bind you in Jesus' name. We loose you in Jesus' name. And in the name of Christ and hallowed be thy name and God, your kingdom come and like all these different prayers. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with using and learning words, but there has to be a dependence on the God that we're praying to. Some of the best prayers and most in amazing moments of my life where in Los Angeles where a, a young person would get radically saved. There was one particular guy who got saved. My youth pastor led him to the Lord and uh, he was a semi-pro surfer and he gets saved radically, did not have anything going on in church and he just gets into a prayer circle. It's like the first time he ever prayed and he's like, he's like psyched. He's never prayed out loud in his life. He's like, bro, God, bro, God, bro, 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 God. Like, and it was just like this surfer Santa Monica Beach language. And I was like, man, he does not know how to pray. But it was like, he, I love his prayers. Like, I love his prayers because it was like, bro, God, yeah, God, like, I just pray, God, like, you would just wreck him. Like, <laughs> Lord, that he would shred the gnar in such a way, God, that, you know, okay. True story, true story. It's not your words. Listen, it's not your words. It's not your babbling. It's not finding the right, uh, the right syllables. Or, man, he prays so much better than I pray, and he knows the Bible so much better than I know the Bible, so we're going to have him pray. Like, I just feel like God hears you better because you have the right words sometimes, and you have a lot of theological words, and you pray, you know, all these different things that I don't know how to pray. It's not about, Jesus says, don't babble. It's not the babbling. It's not the coming up with the right phrase, and it's not learning the right phrases, and it's not the repetition that you bring to the table. It's the revelation that you bring to the table of your authority before Jesus. That's the difference maker. And Jesus says, if you don't know how to pray, pray like this. Don't keep babbling like the, pray, the, the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Don't be like those guys. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Can I tell you what that sounds like? That sounds like there's a bunch of stuff in heaven that God already knows you have need of that's already been provided for. Whatever you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth has already been loosed in heaven. So your father who lives where? In heaven. He's seen what's already been bound and what's already been loose, and he already knows what you have need of when you ask. So he's looking for the simplicity of somebody who will ask. He's looking for somebody who will take him at his word and be the person who might be the one who calls forth heaven and says, God, I'm asking you to bind this distraction in my life. I'm asking you to bind this, this uh, temptation in my life. I'm asking you to, to, to take this away, God, this addiction and this uh, substance abuse, whatever it may be. Lord, God, rid me of this. He's looking for people who will take him at his word. Do not be like them, for your father already knows what you have need of. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father, where? In heaven, who's looking at all the answers he's already provided for, for you. Hallowed be your name. And if you, did, if you weren't convinced before that this is what Jesus is talking about when he talks about binding and loosing, he's talking to Peter about his identity. If you weren't convinced before, 
you're about to be convinced now with the prayer that every single one of us know. Your kingdom come. From where is it coming? From Fresno? Your kingdom come from Fresno. Because everything there is amazing. No, it's not. It's terrible. I, I have a friend that pastors in Fresno. I pray for him often. Your kingdom come from Reading. Like that's, like, that's where the kingdom is, right? I mean, Bethel, they've got it going on. And they do. They have, like, some really cool stuff happening. But your kingdom come from it. No, no, no. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. So what Jesus is saying, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. The question is, who's going who's gonna to be the one who goes for maybe to actually praying because it's a might, but it's not on God's part. It's on our part. When I think of myself, when I think of my assignment before God, you know, I have an assignment. You have an assignment as a believer to bring heaven to earth in every circumstance that you drive by, every situation that you face in your own personal life, every loved one that you're believing for God to make a difference in their life and to bring them into the kingdom, every financial woe and concern. You have an assignment even before God in the political realm. Maybe we take some of that, maybe not all of it, but some of the energy we use to picket political issues and to get angry about political issues and get vocal about political issues. What if we took some of that energy, maybe 40%, let's just go with 40. You know, 60% of it, let's leave, you know, let's keep being active. But let's take 40% of that energy and take up our assignment as believers to bind on earth and to loosen heaven. Like to say, God, no, not here, not this culture and not at my time. Lord, I'm asking for your intervention, Lord Jesus. I'm asking for you to intervene in my culture, in my world. I'm asking for you to make a, give yourself a revelation to that school teacher or that student that comes against me or any number of issues that we're facing. God is looking for people who will hold up and grab a hold of their assignment. You have been assigned to bind the kingdom of darkness and loose the kingdom of heaven in every area and dimension of your life. And let me tell you this. This is why prayer, and this is how prayer gets exciting. Prayer gets exciting when we know who Jesus is, when we know who we are, when we begin to taste the potential of what it looks like to take up our assignment and to say, you know what? I'm going to water the fig tree. I'm just going to put some water on it and see what happens. I'm going to have an abundance. I'm going to have some fruit in my life because I simply took Jesus at his word and said, God, right here in my world, I want to see you move. Your prayers will sound different when you believe like this. I want to invite Chris, if you just play, and uh, we're going to close in prayer. I want to close this way. Would you stand with me?